know, when I went through that 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 roster of lecturers, they were all you know practitioners, and so that got me to Fincia, and and I've been at Fincia ever since. Welcome to the Fincia podcast. Today, I'm really pleased to have Giles Gunasakara with us, um, senior fellow at Fincia, whose uh, Order of Australia medal. Um, was announced just recently um, and uh, for some out- outstanding, incredible work to the community. Uh, and not, also, uh, I've known Giles for many years and his work with Finns here is, is outstanding as well. Um, Giles, welcome. Thanks for spending some time to talk about this. Um, Thanks, you Lawrence. must be pleased. Yes, very pleased. It's been an exciting few weeks. Yeah, so um, no, thanks, thanks for the opportunity to... Uh, Speak to you today. What did you know when the when the note dropped through the door or the email came through? What what were your first thoughts? Uh, It was very humbling. Uh, You know, a lot of this, well, all this work has been largely behind closed doors. You know, it's been voluntary work. Uh, So uh, you know, to be recognised in such a public way is you know very humbling. I've read through the, the the briefing that went with it, and, and you know it's it's, it's long. It does. I mean, there, there's so many things that you've been involved in. It, it's incredible. Um, uh, can you give us some examples that stand out? Um, you know, um, I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, my, my first voluntary um, activity was with my mum delivering Meals on Wheels. So that was at the age of seven. Um, so that really, I guess you know, instilled in me that sense of, you know, service, um, helping others. You know, I'm a first-generation Australian. Uh, you know, my parents are Sri Lankan. We were just brought up to, uh, we were just brought up, you know, being told that we were very lucky to be in this country. Um, and as a consequence, you know, we, we, we need to give back and we should give back. So that was kind of drained in, you know, not, not uh, you know, it, drained or you know told to us but it was kind of implied um mm. you know through our through growing up and my dad's a doctor so you know by nature of you know his profession he's always you know giving back to the community as part of his daily job as well as um he used to he, he used to spend a lot of time you know coaching and uh, teaching uh, up and coming gps uh but my one of my first and longest standing um uh, not-for-profit um uh, uh, not 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 for profit voluntary organisations was Amnesty International, uh, and I joined Amnesty International at the age of sixteen, and still continue uh, to this day uh, being a member of Amnesty International. Um, Amnesty was a great organisation because you can contribute like a lot of not for profits in any way that you wish to. Uh, so the whole purpose of Amnesty International, well, how it all started was, um, it was all about putting pressure on governments that had basically, you know, locked up prisoners of conscience and political prisoners. Um, and so back, you know, when I started in, in as, as a 16-year-old, it was actually physical letters that you would write to governments around the world saying, um, you know, release this prisoner for these reasons. And then it became letters and faxes and then, you know, and, and now obviously emails and, and other, you know, social media mechanisms that happen. And it was so gratifying because you'd think this simple exercise of writing a letter uh, to a political prisoner, you know, that you wouldn't get a response. And then when you do get a response via Amnesty saying, yes, this person's released, they're with their family, um, you know, the injustice has, um, you know, has ended, etc. That was really, really gratifying. So that then transitioned to regional committees uh, on the national board, 
I was then on a couple of global boards as well, um, involved around finance and investment and, and reserves. So I was able to use, you know, my business skills, my investment skills mm. for uh, Amnesty and and, um, uh, and and I guess vice versa. They were able to utilise those skills, you know, from me. But then also, I spent a lot of time and still do, you know, speaking at schools, speaking at universities about the various human rights campaigns that, that Amnesty run and. You know, I guess the, the genesis of moving into Amnesty was really um, spending that life, you know, uh, as a child, um, you know, in Australia, first generation, um, being the victim of a lot of bullying, harassment mm. and, and mm. racism. Uh, I grew up in a very, uh, yeah, in a very, um, very white Anglo-Saxon um, uh, area in, in, in Victoria, uh, in Mornington Peninsula, and very little diversity. I, I was the only brown kid, you know, probably mm. in the whole competition, uh, the whole cricket competition. Uh, I was one of the few brown people, you know, playing yeah. soccer or even wanting yeah. to play soccer. So, um, yeah, I just suffered a lot. And, and I guess that, you know, experience, you know, helped me build resilience, uh, but it also helped me realise that there were people in a, in a worse off position than me. And that was the movement into, okay, well, I've been through that. I've survived that. Or well, yeah, maybe maybe survived is probably a good word. You know, still mm. dealing with it. But yeah, let's yeah. now help uh, other people that are in a much worse uh, situation than me. And then yeah, transitioned onto a whole bunch of other you know not for profits that I've been very involved with and, and and passionate about. But yeah, definitely Amnesty International has really been one of those organisations where started off small ended up consuming most of my life <laughs> um, and, and, and now I'm kind of putting those skills to, to work in a whole range of other not-for-profits. Well, I'll make sure that uh, we're going to put, put out an article as well to, to go with this and I'll make sure that we get a link to, link, uh, to show which other sure. organisations you're involved in. Absolutely, think, that'd be great. I think if people want to um, check that out as well. Mm. But um, um, Returning, I suppose, to your, to your youth, um, one thing I'm, I'm aware of, which um, I think is interesting, you, you, you know, you talked about your family and very committed to community service. Um, but you, you, you know, but you didn't go down the medical route or anything like that. You, you've always wanted to get into finance. Yes. Am I right in saying? Yeah, yeah. I bought my first shares at 16. Um, my dad, um, you know, I said to my dad, I want to buy shares. And he didn't know, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't own any shares, but he said, oh, I've got a patient who's a stockbroker in the city. So um, I put on, you know, my, my best clothes and went to Collins Street and met this stockbroker and I think handed over at the time with three or four grand, which I think, you know, was a reason, reasonable amount of money back then. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, invested in shares and um, was always really interested in, in stock market, really interested in financial services. Um, my career progression was actually um, supposed to be into the Air Force. So okay. I had been, I did my first glider solo when I was 14. I flew a plane before I could drive a car at the age of 16. Wow. Um, and had been in the cadets since the age of nine, you know, mm -hmm. learning all the aviation theory and, and drill and marching and that sort of thing. So that was my entry, or that was my career plan was to go into the Air Force and be a pilot. I got through all the psych testing, all the medical testing, you know, had the right marks, but right the, the final test was eyesight, and um, I was uh, just uh, slightly short-sighted. Um, not badly enough to need uh, glasses, but um, enough for them to say, okay, you're not perfect. 
um, and they're only taking, I think, something like 10 pilots a wow. year nationally. Wow. Wow. Uh, because at, back, at, back at that time, uh, you know, there was no wars being fought. So that was also the other attraction is I had no interest in war. I just had an interest in good training. <laughs> and that was the Air Force because I knew I could do my 10 years in a fast plane and then go and retire to, to Qantas um, or, uh, you know, uh, and fly big planes. So um, my backup plan was, was finance. Um, and it, you know, wasn't, wasn't a bad second choice in a lot of ways because I'd already had that experience of investing, um, you know, my, my, I had intentions of doing a commerce degree or a business degree anyway. Um, so yeah, that became you know my fallback plan became my career. Yeah. <laughs> and and you talked about you know you you were looking at the training in the air force. Yeah. Um, like, you know I can't resist that link uh, yeah. to to Fincia and yeah. and and um, the Securities Institute mm. before you, you know that they were just a natural place for you to go. Absolutely, absolutely. You know when I was so I did my undergraduate degree and then mm. I was looking at postgraduate qualifications and looked at. Um, a couple of ma- looked at and got accepted into a couple of master's programs at you know very reputable universities here. Um, looked at the CFA program, but what brought me to Fincia was uh, initially the grad uh, graduate diploma in applied finance and investment, um, and then went on to do my master's. But what brought me to the grad dip was that when I looked through the roster of lecturers, they were actually people that were doing it. So. As much as I love professors and, and love, you know, academics, you know, yeah. nothing yeah. better than being taught, you know, portfolio construction by the chief investment officer at Australian Super yeah. or, um, you know, portfolio theory by, you know, someone who was, you know, actually doing it in a private bank or um, at a super fund. So that really attracted me that, you know, when I went through that, that, that roster of lecturers, they were all, you know, practitioners. And so... That got me to Fincia, and, and I've been at Fincia ever since. I've been a student. I then went on to teach uh, as well in the Grad Dip program. Um, I did when Fincia had a JV in Malaysia. I spent some time in, in KL um, teaching the master's program in, in Malaysia, and then went on to do some other work with other industry bodies you know, through the region. So, yeah, that training, that teaching um, bug is, is very much embedded in me anyway. My... My nan is one of three, you know, she's, she's one of three and all of them were teachers and ranging from Montessori all the way up to, to you know, to university. Um, as I mentioned, my dad um, yeah. ran, ran the teaching, um, uh, well, ran the teaching practice for general practitioners for 30 years at Frankston Hospital in, in Victoria. So, yeah, I've always had this teaching bug in me, but I think first and foremost, I've had a learning bug, you know, yeah. all my life, yeah. I've always... Um, craved information, craved learning. You know, I am a self-confessed lifelong learner. Um, you know, I'd be quite happy to kind of house myself in a university for the rest of my life. But um, you know, that lifelong learning um, is is something that I, I really enjoy and have really sought it in all in all yeah. parts of my life. Um, um, we appreciate you, you know, carrying on and and handing down that, that you know the uh, incredible knowledge and experience you have. Um, one, th- one. I think I'll, I'll I'll round off with one thing that um, we first spoke about four mm. or five years ago. I think and mm. uh, your your business, Global Impact Investing, yeah. um, and you know we talked uh, uh, about that. I mean, to me, it seems as though there is so much um, 
increase in awareness mm. in in the need of this mm. it, you know we, we, we it's it's only been heightened yes um I, you know where where that was i think it was about 2018 where, mm. where mm. you know um where are we in that space at the moment yeah it, a lot's happened in 2018 <laughs> <laughs> since yeah. 2018 obviously yeah. um it's definitely moving i mean uh you know in australia and, and when i say moving you know the lens is very firmly on how can we be better, you know, whether it's a corporate, whether it's individuals, whether it's government, um, how do we improve, you know, our impact on the environment? How do we make a social impact and a social contribution? Um, and how do we improve our governance, um, you know, in everything that we do? So that ESG is, is very firmly embedded. Um, interestingly, in places like Europe, um, they're not, no longer really talking about ESG because it's embedded, it's done, and now they're moving on to impact, which is, you know, the definition of impact investing or the definition of, of impact is measurable, uh, sustainable financial returns alongside actionable, intentional um, social impact. So, you know, that's the way that, you know, a lot of these pension funds in Europe are, are moving to where they're saying, okay, I want to solve for climate or I want to solve for gender equality or I want more inclusive communities. Mm -hmm. How do I move my money into those areas in order to, you know, to do that? So, you know, the great thing is we're not talking about white papers. We're not talking about theory. There is so much, you know, worked examples out there. And I think even when we met, I, I was saying to you, you know, we talk about impact investing like it's this new thing. It's been around for about mm -hmm. 50 years. We just yeah. haven't labelled it. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had microfinance, we've had all these other, you know, and, and really it's come out of private equity and venture capital type investments where people have said, yep, I'm investing in that, you know, company because it does, you know, it, it, it's good for the environment. Um, so I can measure the social impact, but I can also, you know, measure the environmental footprint, but I also can, you know, measure what, you know, I also know what sort of return I'm going to get to because there's a, a return profile behind it. So it's not about charity. It's not about sacrificing returns. It's about how do we do both these things at the same time, which is sustainable financial returns alongside actionable, intentional um, social impact. So, yeah, great movements here in Australia. Still very slow. Australia is, um, I often say, very slow adopters but fast followers. So, you know, if, you know, one gets on the train, everyone gets on the train and not it, you know, we haven't seen anyone kind of sizable yet get on that train yet but right. once it does happen and it makes a bit of noise and a bit of profile um there'll be more and more but importantly everyone's doing you know yeah. most companies yeah. are doing the work most investors are doing the work um it's just at kind of different levels of intensity i guess at the moment but it will it's happening and why it's happening Lewis, is really three things. Um, shareholders are demanding, you know, listed companies be more cognizant um, of ESG. Uh, employees are mm. pushing their, yeah. Yeah. Um, their bosses to employ ESG and to ramp it up in, mm. in, in, mm. in their offices, in their premises, the way that they do business. Um, and customers, you know, and we all know that, you know, companies are motivated first by customers. And if your customers are saying, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Can you do this? You should be doing this. 
um, and it's all with a sustainability improvement. You know, let's do better. Let's be, leave a better mark. You know, on the environment, but also um, let's just do things in a more sustainable way. Um, that will, you know, that will change behaviour. So, you know, for all those reasons, it's happening. Um, and different industries, different companies, it's happening at a different rate. But across the board, it's happening. Fantastic. I, uh, I could carry on and speak for, um, you know, for, for hours, but I think um, for the sake of um, this being a shorter podcast, we'll, we'll leave it there just with a, uh, Giles, thanks again. Um, and thanks for listening uh, to our members and uh, other people who are, have tuned in and um, let us know your thoughts. And um, if there's anybody who can uh, uh, come close to uh, all the things that uh, Giles has done. And again, as I say, Giles, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Lewis.